joining us for this episode. I'd like to begin by introducing the entire Voyager social media team for the fall 2020 semester. Automatically, Jenny Shaw and Max Noyan. These amazing students have been managing the magazine's social media pages and organizing this podcast. We really couldn't do it without them. Hi, I'm Automatically. I'm a history major at UW Green Bay. It's my second podcast, and it's going, it's actually a lot of fun. Hi, I'm Jenny Shaw. I'm a junior at UW Green Bay this year, and I'm majoring in history. I'm so excited to help out on this podcast. Hi, and I'm Max Noyan, also a junior at UWGB. Similar to Autumn and Jenny, I'm a history major uh, with, I guess, one of my favorite things to study being ancient civilizations and storytelling. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for joining me. Uh, Autumn will be co-hosting with me again this episode, and Max and Jenny will be back later to share two narratives they recorded with their families. Yep. Yep. All right. We will see you two a little later on. Autumn, can you tell our listeners what we'll be exploring this episode? Of course. So for this month's podcast, similarly to how last time we did something in honor of Halloween, we thought we would do something in a way for Thanksgiving. As this season is often seen as a time for giving thanks, visiting family and friends, and exchanging of stories, we thought we'd explore a brief history of oral tradition and share family stories from Wisconsin. Perfect. For those listening, the stories that Max and Jenny brought to share with us today are their family stories, something that connects them to Wisconsin. These are stories their families have passed down, but as you listen throughout this podcast, we encourage you to try and remember any traditions or stories a friend or family member has passed down to you. If you can't think of any right now, that's fine, but you might be surprised how many cultural values have been passed to you by the end of our show. Now to start, what is oral tradition? Well, it's a medium of storytelling and recording that is as old as any culture across the world. Also referred to as orality, it's considered the first and still most widespread form of human communication. Really, for millennia before the invention of the first writing system, widely considered to be the cuneiform script in Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, oral tradition was the primary means of record-keeping. That's very fascinating. Uh, would, you, would it be fair to compare uh, oral tradition and storytelling as just communication as you and I are doing now? That's a great question, but we should not really equate oral tradition to just communication because it's far more than the common exchange of meanings through hello, how's your day, good, I went to the grocery store, and so on. That's an example of a story, but it's momentary, something that just happened and probably didn't have an educational or cultural purpose. Oral tradition and history are much more dynamic meaning it is a continuous and active form of narrative that is passed down from generation to generation, transmitting a fantastic variety of evolving stories, knowledge, ideas, and even art. When you put it like that, that makes a lot more sense. It was really the key to maintaining societies and their institutions, as well as offering entertainment. Even with the massive popularity of written history today in the 21st century, Oral tradition still remains dominant, mysterious, and just as interesting as ever. So as you just mentioned, there's real diversity and variety to oral tradition. For now, stepping outside Wisconsin and looking across the world, it's easy to say and see that oral tradition forms can completely change depending on the region and the culture. 
For example, it can appear as a song, chants, and even ballads. That's absolutely right. Uh, researchers in Brazil found that cordel ballads, small printed folios of stories often hung by a string for sale, were sung by their sellers. The roots of this tradition actually go back to European sources, demonstrating the rich combination of oral tradition that is passed down and ingrains itself in culture, innovating itself so that it might survive. That's exactly right. Not only that, but there are legends often related to a particular place, oral tradition of recent or even a distant past that offers the opportunity to connect to connect people to their land. Some viewers may be more familiar with myths as a form of oral tradition that tells stories of monsters, gods, heroes, and creation stories, or even epic poetry like Gilgamesh or even the Odyssey. So you've brought up myths and epic poetry, and I just wanted to, again, get a little more specific for the listeners and highlight a few examples. Of course. Take it away. For those who may be unfamiliar, these myths could be the Greek or Roman stories with Zeus and legendary heroes Hercules, Perseus, Atalanta, and many others. For epic poetry, one of the most recognized ancient oral traditions is the Iliad, which chronicles the story of Achilles and the siege of Troy. Another is the Odyssey, the story of Odysseus and his long journey home from Troy. There's also the Epic of Gilgamesh, one of the first recorded stories of King Gilgamesh's failed attempt to gain immorality. And of course, don't forget about the medieval tale of Beowulf. As you mentioned, those stories are still recognized today. This could easily be because today, those epic poems have traveled from person to person, then culture to culture, before finally being transcribed and sold as books. Pieces like the Odyssey, which can reach a page count of 400, now imagine this piece in the 8th century BCE being told orally. Crowds would gather around and listen to individuals telling even any epic story that would be broken into acts that would take multiple days to finish. Of course, as Eric and I have highlighted, oral tradition is still alive. American scholars Malem Perry and Albert Lohr conduct, conducted fieldwork in Yugoslavia where they found the origin had nearly 1,500 epic poems still orally performed today. Similar to the Odyssey, most reached over a thousand lines in length, an unbelievable length that is entrusted to people that can recall them on the spot and create a performance to entertain a crowd. That is really amazing to think that um, people uh, were able to memorize so many lines. Um, so let's pause for a moment. Uh, we've given you a lot uh, for a brief history of oral tradition across the world. Yeah, and there's such an incredible amount of information to find and explore on the influences that oral tradition and history have on cultural ideas and societal structures. But for now, we'll come back home and focus on the Great Lakes region and Wisconsin. Okay, so we've looked at these grand stories, these epics, but what are some other traditions that have been passed down from generation to generation that are present in both American culture and here in Wisconsin? Well, uh, some of the traditions, oral traditions, are deeply ingrained in our culture, <clears throat> excuse me, as custom because friends or family members told us constantly throughout our lives and someone else did the same thing for them are blowing out candles on a birthday cake, not wearing white to the wedding unless you're the bride, uh, 
rituals for new members of a sorority or fraternity or tipping a waiter or waitress for good service. Some There are some superstitious uh, beliefs that have developed because someone told us are a black cat is bad luck, step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back, uh, horseshoes are good luck, blowing out candles, like all of them, on your birthday cake and making a wish. Uh, I could keep listing them, and I'm sure Eric could give even more, but... I want to encourage you to try and think of some of your own. Maybe you have some specific to your family or you've begun to adapt a tradition so it makes sense today. I really love that you're asking our listeners to think about their own oral traditions and family stories. Uh, Perhaps we will hear from some of them on our social media sites or in the comment section of this podcast. And so that leads us perfectly into the next segment where we welcome Max and Jenny back. To remind our listeners, Max and Jenny are also students on the magazine's social media team, and the two of them have brought family narratives that connect them to Wisconsin to be shared on this podcast. To start, Max will join us again. Howdy there. Hey, welcome back. Hey, Max. So you brought an oral narrative to share with our listeners. Could you tell us who told the story, how long it's been a part of your family, and since you've shared a recorded version of this story, briefly what it's about? Yeah, uh, so when looking for something of oral tradition, history, or even maybe record keeping for today, I reached out to my grandmother. And, well, she's phenomenal because she shared with me an oral record of a family tradition that dates back to about the 1800s, when my great-great-grandparents first cleared the land for their small farm like the Bay Settlement in Wisconsin. Uh, So it's a story really about grain harvesting traditions, when farming technology was not what it is today, and really certain families owned tools and others did not in their small communities. So all the cousins, uncles, brothers, and fathers would really gather together at each farm uh, with their horse-drawn thrasher, and they would shock the grain and have this celebration. Interesting. So you mentioned that this oral tradition was used to keep a record of uh, family traditions. Can you explain that a little more? Yeah. So my grandma shared a story. Uh, it was something that happened for her in about the 1950s, so about 60 years ago when she was a young girl. But her parents kind of really kept the record of it and shared with the tradition of their family with her, gathering, uh, help with each other, and taking place from about the 1800s. So the families kept the tradition alive by passing it on to their children. Now, before we play the recording of your grandmother telling this family history, is there a reason why you recorded it? Yeah, there is a reason. Um, I decided to record my grandmother's story because I was worried that not being a professional oralist, I would forget really important pieces of the story before I could even get it to retell it. Or that if I took notes on the story, I would only record chunks and miss the majority of it. Most importantly, I was worried I would not be able to capture really the emotion my grandma, my grandma puts into this memory. Awesome. Thanks, Max. So now let's hear from your grandmother. Okay. Okay. Uh, favorite memory of mine, uh, traditional memory, is back in the early 50s. I was a young girl, probably seven or eight, and it was summertime, and when the grain was ready, things were getting a little bit exciting because first they would cut the grain, and then they would shock it, put it in uh, bundles, and wait for it to dry. And then around the 
kitchen table, on the lunch table, I could hear my parents talking about maybe we're next. And I go, okay, maybe we're next. What that meant was the big trashing machine was going to come into our driveway. It was going to go around to the back of the barn and several men, probably cousins and uncles and neighbors, um, were going to set it all up. And I remember the, the big belt that conducted this um, machine and made it make such a loud noise. And the, the tractors would start coming into our driveway uh, from the other farms and the other neighbors. And as the tractors were coming in, they would be going out into the field and gathering the shocks of hay, and they would be loading them into this great big trash machine, separating the wheat that would become straw from the grain. The grain would then be put into another building that we called the granary, where the grain was stored. And my dad would then at point, some point would bring the grain to the feed mill in New Franken, and they would turn it into like a powder that went onto the, the silage that was in the, in the silo. Now this memory went on, it was so exciting because as a young girl, um, we lived out in the country, we just had each other to play with, and here in the middle of summer was all this excitement happening in our yard. The most exciting part was, is all these ladies came over and in the kitchen was all kinds of activity. Tables were set up outside because you provided lunch for the workers. The workers would then stop everything, stop the machinery, stop that big belt from turning, stop all the noise, and everybody would come to eat lunch. And they were all sweaty, and you could see the, 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 the dust and everything on their clothes. And they would all sit down in the middle of the afternoon, we would have a hot meal. And it was just so exciting. And it was just, just like a holiday almost as everybody was gathering around. And I remember having um, what we called soda, but actually it was Kool-Aid, orange Kool-Aid that mom put orange slices in, or grape Kool-Aid that sometimes she'd put a scoop of ice cream in, and it was like soda. It was like a big party. And then... Um, Everything got cleaned up, the tables got put away, the big trashing machine was taken out of the yard, and um, that was it till the next year. And I don't remember it continuing into the 60s. I, I believe everybody started getting their own machinery and a different method, but it was a favorite memory of mine. I see what you mean about the emotion. It sounds like this was an extremely popular tradition. Did you learn why it ended so shortly after entering the 60s? Kind of. When discussing the tradition really off the recording when I was finished, it appears the family stopped as the farming technology in the area really improved and it became more available for each one. Before that, the tradition was something that connected each family together as a community. It tied them to Wisconsin and the land with these fond memories of these hot days, sweat, and ice cream. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Max, for sharing with us uh, this example of oral tradition serving as a record for one Wisconsin family. It was uh, wonderful that you could join us on this episode. No, thank you uh, for me being a part of this podcast. It's been a lot of fun, really.
All right, that again was Max Nguyen. Now for our second story, we have Jenny here to share with us. Hello, glad to be back. Jenny, since you'll be sharing your story on air, you can jump right in. Just make sure to share who passed the story on to you and how long the story has been passed on in your family. So my grandma told me the story about her mother and her father, so my great-grandparents. So they got married in around the 30s, so about the time of the Great Depression. So they were married and they lost their jobs during the Depression, and so they would... Uh, they had to go downtown to go to a food bank to get the food rations for a week or whatever, however long. So what they were given to pay for it were these red chips and these uh, stamps that you had to give them so you could get your food. But also to get people back on their feet after the Great Depression, the county created like construction jobs and there's this man-made... Uh, retention pond near wildlife sanctuary that my grandpa helped make so that's what that was one of his first jobs after the great depression well uh thank you jenny for coming on to our podcast for this episode actually thank you to both you and max for coming out from behind the scenes of the voyager social media group to talk with us yeah, absolutely. Thank you two so much. The family narratives you presented were fantastic. And as we're near the end of our show, we'd like to conclude with some potential hazards regarding the use of oral tradition. As we've already encountered, one of the issues Max experienced when he decided to record his grandmother's oral history is that he worried his memory would fail him when he would have to tell the story again. This was a great observation on his part, as the discipline of oral tradition is extremely reliant upon memory. This makes oral history a very personal account of the past, which can be a strength when looking at a family history or cultural development, but it makes it difficult to use oral history as a critical source as it lacks objectivity and needs multiple accounts to be reliable. That's a fair critique, as we also have recognized that an oral tradition, though fantastically shared from generation to generation, contradictions can arise, and with age, losses in detail can occur. And finally, historical accuracy and truth are less important than providing entertainment, cultural co cohes cohesion, and lessons. You know, despite the drawbacks, uh, oral tradition is still a celebrated medium that has innovated itself to stay a part of our lives in the 21st century. We hope you learned something today, and as you listened along, realizing how prominent oral tradition has been in your life. If you yourself have a family narrative, we hope you pass it down and keep it alive. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. The podcast is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Phoenix Studios' executive producer is Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick. Our sound engineer for this episode is Sarah Miller. Thank you, Sarah. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlies. This episode was written by Autumn Ackley, Max Nguyen, and Jenny Shaw. If you haven't already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can head over to our website at uwgb.edu slash podcast to check out the past episodes of this and all of our shows. To learn more about Voyager or to subscribe to our magazine, please visit voyagermagazine.org. I'm your host, Eric Morgan. Thanks for listening.